The series is called What a Stunner, where we are acknowledging that the gospel is like one of those beautiful diamonds, one of those wonderful gems, which, you know, you can walk around it and look at it from many different angles and see wonderful facets of glory coming at it, which is the, it's, the, it's one stone, but different facets of beauty wherever you look at it from, and that's what we're doing with the gospel, it's one message, the message of God's grace to us in giving Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Okay? The good news is it's not, a, it's not a, a fundamentally a system of beliefs or a philosophy, it's fundamentally a, a person. Um, God has come in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's great news, really great news. Um, and so we're just looking at the good news of Jesus from lots of different angles, and the way we're doing it is we're tracking it each Sunday, right from the beginning of the book, from Genesis creation, right through to the end, Revelation. So we're... we're covering some miles and some years every Sunday, but it seems to be working, so um, and it, it, we're sort of calling each one a different three, uh, theme or strand. Today's What a Stunner facet is adoption. We're going to be looking at the amazing news that God in Jesus Christ adopts us into his family, and all that, that means, and all the implications for us in that. I mean, even aside from the gospel, if you, explicitly, adoption is an incredible thing. Adoption is an amazing thing, probably because it does reflect the gospel, but even if you're someone here today and maybe you, you're not sure what you believe, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you, know, you're, you don't know quite where you're at with the gospel or, or you're, you're not for it at all, I think we'd all agree that adoption is an incredible thing. When someone who, for whatever reason, difficulty, tragedy, hopelessness, who knows what, Health um, is, is left without parents. And some people come along and choose, choose that individual and take them into their family forever. That's an incredible thing. Fostering is a brilliant thing, an admirable thing, but it's very different from adoption. With adoption, your surname is changed. With adoption, it's permanent. With adoption, you become legally and hopefully relationally as much part of the family as the biological children. In some senses, adoption is more amazing than um, having biological children because I guess the reality is, is my mum and dad didn't choose me, they just got me. <laughs> yeah, I was born and this, this is what they had. And they had to sort of uh, make the best of it, really. Uh, I'm sure they had lots of fun and all that. You know, obviously it's great. But what I'm saying is there's a different dynamic. You're landed with this baby. Great. It's very different from saying, I'll have that one. It's just a different dynamic. And uh, particularly if you are adopted here today, I would want you to just stop and reflect on that. Because my dad is adopted and, um, you know, I guess... Um, he didn't find out until he was very old and it, it caused considerable, you know, uh, pain, I guess, because, I guess, well, I guess what you always assumed or something isn't, but then I guess the, the, there's that question that lingers on about my biological mum, dad, parents. And I guess you can be left feeling somehow that you're at a disadvantage and I understand that and can sympathise with that. But I would also want to put forward that you're in an incredible position, you were chosen. You were chosen. That's amazing. And uh, it's a beautiful and a a wonderful thing. Uh, Adoption is permanent. I have friends who have adopted and uh, uh, it turns out that one of their children has very, very, very difficult conditions to live with. But it's permanent. She's part of the family. It's, It's a permanent thing. It's a costly thing. It's a profound thing, and you get a new identity. With adoption, your name is changed. Your name is changed to reflect the name of your parents. And so I want us to just, even before we get into the gospel, just have that in our minds. Because it's beautiful, and it, it's, uh, it's restorative, and it, adoption brings healing with it. Um, because adoption takes someone who is outside and brings them in. Adoption brings people home. That's what the gospel does. So we're going to look at that. I want to just say this as well, as I've done study in preparation for this, I've become increasingly struck by the fact that when when God is in the mix with adoption, uh, the whole royalty thread becomes very intricately mixed with it. So adoption, in and of itself, normally, you know, 
We don't really immediately think royalty, but God is the king. He's the king of kings, king of the universe. So when God adopts, what's happening is you're brought into the royal family. That's a very strong thing through the scripture. But imagine if Will and Kate decided, well, we've got one and it's amazing. Why don't, we, why don't we adopt next time? Can you imagine the profile it would have in Hello and OK and all the newspapers and everything around the world? This big deal. Why? Well, this person isn't just, they're not just being adopted, they're being adopted into the royal family. This person suddenly is in significant succession to the throne. And that Christian adoption, I want you to just get in at the start because you'll see it coming through. It's about being adopted into the royal family. Now, because adoption is permanent and about new identity and your name changes, it means you become royalty. So it's quite big stuff we're going to look at today. We'll start in creation. Um, when we look at the creation story, it's a family feel. So it's very much a family feel. God says, let us make man in our image. Let us, let us, you know, I'm not trying to degenerate the creation of mankind into something purely like a natural husband and wife procreating, but it is a procreative in its feel, in, in its tone. Let us make, you know, you know, when a husband and wife have a child, oh, no, he's got your nose, you know, in our image. Um, let us make men in our image, male and female, God created them. It's a family feel, it's very intimate. God fashions the man out of the, of the ground and then breathes, blows the breath of life into his nostrils, it's very intimate. And he becomes a living being and then a man is put into a deep sleep and the Lord takes from his side and fashions a woman. He's very involved. Speaking to you know, the supervisor who then speaks to the manager and it's down the, the, the conveyor belt of the human factory. God himself is fashioning and forming. It's a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful idea. And, um, and actually that's acknowledged in the Bible. Um, in, in the Gospel of Luke, which is kind of really late on in the Bible, um, it's looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ and, uh, and it traces it right back to Adam. And look, look in Luke 3, what it says at, at the end here. So he's going through this list of genealogy. Jared, the son of Mahalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So the Bible very much understands the creation of mankind as a family situation. They're created in uh, the family. That's what is going on there. Now there's three things around, I'm going to call it sonship today, and I'm not being gender specific in that, it's important you understand that, because um, as we get into adoption in the New Testament you'll realise that men and women Christians are called sons of God, because the sons, in, 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 in these times, in these cultures, the sons were the heirs. And so it's actually great dignity, it means that both men and women uh, who come to know Christ and become sons of God, become heirs. With Christ, so that's why I want to talk about sonship. It's not gender specific, so you women understand that you're included in, in just as much way as the men are. So, I wanted you to understand that. Okay, so three things about sonship that we often maybe don't even think about much, but we need to because it's central to the Bible idea. I don't know what I don't. I, 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 when I think of sonship, I just think of being a son. If someone, said, if someone sort of prodded me and said, yeah, talk more about it, I'm not sure where I would go, really. I think I would feel a bit cornered and a bit pressurised. I don't know. Well, what does it mean? Well, the Bible points to three main themes and threads. The first is imitation. The sonship is about imitation. Uh, God made mankind in his image to reflect his likeness. And um, a very important part of being a son in the family is that you learn the family way that you imitate that you copy. Actually, the, 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 the setting that God has made for us to learn how to do life is primarily the family. Central in God's heart. And so, I, I'm to learn the family way. And there's pluses and minuses to that. Because some of our family ways are a bit funny, aren't they? But there's some real good things in there too, most of the time. And that's, that's a central idea to sonship. Have it in our mind at the start, is imitation. Secondly, uh, inheritance. Really, really central in the Bible. I don't think we think about that loads um, necessarily in our culture. Maybe if we are more affluent, we would do because there'd be more to get excited about when it comes to inheritance. Uh, from my lineage, there's not too much to be dancing around the room in when I think about inheritance. You know, you know, there's there's not there's not millions waiting for me. Um, but it's a central theme biblically that if you're a son, you're an heir. All that is, the fathers will be entrusted to you. It's a big deal, really big deal. And then the third thing is trusting obedience. That, that actually it's a central thing, you see it right at the start in, in, in the creation story, God entrusts the man and the woman, you know, in the garden, all the wonderful stuff, but he says, look, I just want you to, I'm going to just put one prohibition in, don't eat from that tree there, 
There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's created in the whole kind of setup is the possibility for disobedience. The possibility to say, no, thank you, I'm going to go my own way, which causes the problem, you see. So, imitation, inheritance, and trust and obedience. I want to get all these things that start, putting all my rocks in the bucket, so as we start building through, you'll, ah, you'll see how it all comes together. Adam and Eve mess it up. They're in the family of God. It's wonderful, beautiful, harmonious. We looked at it every week, how great it was. And then they don't imitate. They don't follow the family way. They're made in the image of God. But without not being satisfied in, in just wanting to represent him, they want to take his place. It's kind of a more of a... They're tempted and seduced by the idea of being just like God, but not in a, not in a way that is still under him, but in a way that is, they want to be equal with him. It's a kind of a wrong kind of thing. They, and they, so they, they, they move away from their proper place and uh, they don't trust and obey him because God has said if you eat from that tree you will die. Satan says, of course you won't die. You'll just be like God. They don't trust God. They mistrust what God has said and as a result of that disobey, move away from what God has said. They opt for self-wisdom and then they lose their inheritance. They're thrown out of the garden. They do not imitate, they do not obey and they're thrown out of their inheritance. That's the story. That's the story of humanity. So we find ourselves spiritual wanderers. We find ourselves born as wanderers. Born alienated, born outside of home. Born with a bent even in our hearts to do exactly what Adam and Eve did, which is not to trust and obey God. That's, that's, when we talk about original sin, that's what we're talking about. That there's something in our hearts, I don't want, why should I submit to God? It's, we, we, we have that same inclination that led Adam and Eve to go their own way. And so we're born outside of the family, we're born alienated. And um, this is important because a lot of people today will be saying things like, you, you're the product of your environment. You are how you are because of the way you were brought up. And there's a lot of truth in that, but it's not the whole story. Biblically, the story is you're born broken. You're born broken. And so even if you have a wonderful upbringing and everything looks fine, you're still broken. And you're still outside of the family and you still need, you need adoption. We all need adoption. Spiritually speaking, that we're all outside of the family, the Bible says. It's important you understand that. It's really important you understand that. It's central to the whole story. So we see the situation develop where mankind are cast out of the garden and they're spiritual wanderers, but God does not give up on people because he loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He loves those he's created. He loves those whom he's made in his image. He loves and wants to have a huge family. It's the heart of God is to have a massive family. Okay? That's just the, you really get to the heart of God, what's it about? Massive family. God loves family. God is passionate about family. So when I'm with my mate Kev, Kev Riley out in Poland, many of you know them, they, used to, they were with us and then we sent them to Poland, well God sent them to Poland, we just blessed and cheered and you know. He said, I want to, he's bought, they've got some kind of, I don't know, some kind of, they had a bit of money from, the, from them, you know, they had a house here sold up and they had a little a bit of money spare and they've got this little place near a lake somewhere and they want to they do it up and work on it and they've dug a well and all of that. And his dream is to just be able to sit outside on a chair with kids, grown up, grandkids, just running around. That's kind of, that, he, he loves the idea of that. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because you know, you only really get there, you only really get to that place if you sow into your family. See, that's, that's, that's long-term stuff, that is. It's a heart, that's what God's heart is like. Love to be surrounded by his children. He's a really beautiful, wonderful father. We are in awe of him. We do bow the knee and absolutely tremble. Yes, yes, yes. But he's a wonderful father that we just can't wait to be with as well. It's the heart of God. It's the heart of God. And so God chooses a nation. God chooses a na- well, he chooses a man, Abraham, and out of him makes a nation that will be his people. And he re- relates to this whole nation even as a son. That's the way that he talks about it. If you look at Hosea 11, this is uh, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt. Remember the story, they're in Egypt, and he sends Moses to rescue them out. Out of Egypt, I called my son. In the heart of God, his people, this people, they're my son. That's how he relates to them. That's how he thinks of them. He says things to them like, you're going to be the head and not the tail. 
See, why? Well, because he's the king, and this is his son. And so his desire is that they're head, not the tail. Not that they might oppress others, but that they might be in a place of dignity. His heart is to raise them up, honour them, lift them high. Uh, why? Because he's the king. Wouldn't it be a crazy idea if, you know, Will and Kate are adopted and, and then they're, you know, and, but they sort of, they sort of, the photographs in Hello and OK magazine is dressed in rags. You know, it's all a bit sort of dirt all over his face. You know, what is that? What is that? It's weird. Why is it weird? Well, because if they're going to adopt him, they're going to bring him into all that they are and he's going to have a decent old life, isn't he? Yeah? He's been brought into royalty. Just the heart of God and that's God's heart for Israel, he says things like that to them. You're going to be the head and not the tail. But you see, Israel, they don't imitate God, they don't obey God, constantly going their own way. Even this passage we just looked at, it talks about them being wayward, a, a wayward son. Well, look at Deuteronomy 32. Look at what it says about them. They sacrificed to demons that were not gods, to gods they'd never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You are unmindful of the rock that bore you. Listen to those words. Listen to those words. The rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. It's incredible. The Lord saw it and spurned them. Because of the provocation of his sons and daughters, he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they're a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. You see, he's looking for trust. He's looking that they might walk with him and learn the family way. And they actually do the opposite and his heart is broken by it. See, and then they lose their inheritance, you see? He's brought them out of Egypt, into the promised land, and then he eventually has to kick them out. That was their inheritance, he has to kick them out, why? Because they're just in their heart, wayward. And they're, 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 he describes them as having stiff necks, they won't learn, they won't submit, their foreheads are like bronze, he says. Yeah, that's what they're like, it's a son, but it's just constantly refuses to learn and walk with, with their father. This is the story of Israel, this is what happens, we see it again, and again and again. And yet there is uh, also at the same time, uh, all this terrible stuff happening, there's these promises that are coming through. Well, I'll just read you a few short little scriptures, but you begin to think, oh, something's, something's growing here alongside all the bad stuff. Genesis 49 is an important one. Uh, this is when Jacob, who's the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 children that become the tribes, he prophesies over his son Judah and says, the scepter, the scepter is something that a king would have which symbolises authority, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And unto him shall the obedience of the peoples be. There's a ruler that's going to come through the tribe of Judah. Okay, next slide. Then we get into the story of David, who's from the tribe of Judah, and he's a king, and he's an amazing king. And then one day God speaks to David, this king of Judah, and he says to him, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father, so when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I'll establish his kingdom. He'll build a house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father. He'll be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now leave that there. What's happening there? You think, oh, who's he talking about? Well, it's kind of Solomon, his next son, who was raised up in this beautiful, wonderful kingdom. But it's, it's obviously also, there's elements, you think, yeah, that fits for Solomon, elements that don't. There's someone else coming. This, this has got a, a, another layer, another level to it. And then if we look at the next scripture, there's a, um, a psalm here, Psalm 2 written by David, and he says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you, ask of me, and I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth, your possession. You know, who's God promising that to? Is that David? Well, the ends of the earth were never his possession. He had an amazing kingdom, but it was just a little, a little bit of the Middle East, really. Who's he talking about? And you begin to realize there's something growing and developing here that is very exciting and very thrilling. Isaiah the prophet prophesies a very famous Christmas. You know, we read it at Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. There's that family language again, and the government will be on his shoulder. Okay, so he's a son, but he's going to reign. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. Ah, here we go. It's going to be fulfilled to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Who's he talking about? Well, we know, don't we? He's talking about Jesus. 
Jesus, because Joseph was descended from David, from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus comes, enter Jesus, and all of a sudden it all begins to take shape in a very staggering way. It's incredible. Jesus gets baptised, and look what happens in Luke chapter 3. When all the people were baptised, and when Jesus also had been baptised and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. Here it is. You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. This is a big moment. Because God has had a son, Adam, with whom he wasn't pleased and was banished. God has had another son, Israel, with whom he wasn't pleased and was thrown out of their inheritance. Here we have another son. And God says, with you, I am well pleased. Now bear in mind, at this point, Jesus hasn't done a load of amazing miracles. He's right at the start of his public ministry, if you like. But there's something in him. It's pleasing. brings great pleasure to the heart of God. It's a wonderful and a beautiful moment. And now I want, us just look at, look at, I want us to look at Jesus for a moment. Look at some of the things he did, some of his actions, and you begin to see this one knows what sonship is about. This one is a beautiful model. When he was 12 years old, look what happened in Luke, in Luke chapter 2. He got lost. and his, Well, his parents lost him. He wasn't lost. His parents lost him. After searching for days, they find him in the temple. And he says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be about, I must be in my father's house, or another way of reading it, it must be about my father's business. You see, Jesus is, he's caught up with some, he, he knows who he is. And he's absolutely caught up with what the father's doing. I want you to understand, I want you to get this, because this is what sonship looks like. When we get to the bit where we realise we're sons, we understand the deal. Okay? This is what it looks like, about my father's business. That's what I'm about. Right, I'm caught up. I'm learning the family way. I'm caught up. with. See, that would be historically in ancient, ancient times. That's what happens. You're born to a family and you're, you're, you are caught up with the father's business. Literally. You know, you're a smith. I learn how to be a smith. You know, I learn how to do the things you do, the different trades. That's what it is. I'm about my father's business. This is, this is where I find my identity. The, ancient times, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think of yourself as just an nice, like, who am I? This is, you wouldn't speak about who you were it, without reference to your family. You're so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. There's a sense in which you know where you come from. You see, Jesus, I'm about my father's business. I know where I've come from. That's how he is. That's what he's passionate about. It's very, very striking and very, very important. And then listen to him in John 5, listen to the way he talks. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I'm imitating. Just copying. Jesus isn't the great innovator, he's the great imitator. He said, oh, what's the Father doing? Okay, well, I'll do it. Jesus is very clear. It's what the Son does. Luke 4, well, this is very interesting, watch what happens here. The devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. Right, he shows him all the kingdoms of all, uh, uh, in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. Now just stop there, pause this, important point. Satan says, I'll give you all of this because it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I want. Jesus doesn't say, that's not true, it is true. It is true. It wouldn't be a temptation if it wasn't true. Jesus would say, don't be silly, it's not true. It's true. Because God gave that authority to his son Adam. And Adam gave it away. To Satan. But it's God's plan that a man, that a human, will have this authority, will inherit the nations of the world. And Satan saying, I will give you it, just do it my way. All you've got to do if you then worship me, it'll all be yours. Just got to bow down. I've got a way where you can shortcut to the inher- what is your inheritance. Jesus answered him, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Is that trusting and obedient? Totally different from Adam. Oh, okay, shortcut, yeah, I'll be just like... No, I'll worship God. You see, it's sonship, trust, imitation, obedience. And I'm going to end, as a result of that, I'm going to inherit Inherit God's way. It's glorious. Very, very glorious. Jesus knows what lies ahead. He knows that very shortly he's going to face a tragic death. Imagine you knew that about yourself. Just imagine that for a moment. You knew in a few years' time you, were going to ki- you knew how you were going to be killed and it was going to be a very painful uh, execution. 
You knew. You knew you were going to face opposition, scourging, mocking, all of that. You knew that. What kind of person would you be? Just reflect on it for a moment. How would that shape you as a person? What would you be like to be around? Like nervous maybe? Twitchy? Miserable? Jesus is anything but. It's anything but. People just want to be around him. Why? He just carries the peace of God. He carries... It's incredible. You think, what? How, what is this? How does this work? I'll tell you how it works. He knows who he is. He knows in the depths of his heart who he is. And our biggest problem is when we don't know who we are. And we're constantly trying to prove to others, or ourselves, or some mysterious voice in our head, or some image of someone that we've always wanted to impress, trying to prove that we are something, because we don't know deep inside, I know who I am. You see? Jesus knows who he is. He's not constantly trying to prove himself. He's not constantly going into ridiculous measures to try and impress everyone. In fact, you know, he's just the epitome of trust and shalom. It's beautiful. He knows who he is. And look at what it leads to. It's a wonderful thing, John 13, it says this, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, right? So he knows everything's been given to him, yeah? And that he had come from God and was going back to God. So this this is the context, Jesus knowing. He knows what he's got, who he is and where he's going. He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I mean, it's shocking, really. This is what slave, it's a slave's job. Peter was horrified. What? No, never. Why are you doing this? Because I know who I am. I know who I am, so I can serve. I know who I am, so I haven't got to constantly try and exalt myself. I, I can serve. I've got no one to impress. I know, I'm ch- I know I'm beloved. I know God sings over me. I know God delights in me. See it? It's massive. Massively huge. And then the divine king is, so, you know, you see him before King Herod, so-called King Herod, being mocked and abused. You see him before the Roman ruler Pilate. You see a crown of thorns being put in his head. You see these vile, terrible things begin to happen shortly after. You think, what's going on? This is the king. This is the son who's the king. This is the king who's the son. This is the promised one. Why does all this suddenly happen? It's, it's a horrible thing. This is one who was perfectly trusted. Why is this happening? This is one who has imitated completely the image of God. Why would this be happening now? This is one who is trustworthy, and now and then he gets to the cross where we're told he's utterly forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out, and everyone's confused, and everyone who's watching it is mystified and bewildered, and we thought this was the one. What's happening here? What's happening here is 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus. Right, so, for our sake, God made him to be sin. Sin is just where we miss the mark. You know, you know, sin is everything from selfishness to envy, pride, greed, lust, sexual immorality, um, uh, very subtle things, backstabbing, digging things out, having a double tongue, saying one thing but meaning something else. I mean, you name it, all the dark stuff. They're all familiar with firsthand. That's sin. Okay? So God made him for our sake to be sin. He didn't know any sin. He'd never done any of this stuff, Jesus. And suddenly he becomes it. He's so covered in it. Why? So that in him. So that if we are in Jesus, if we step into Jesus, if we say, Jesus, I want to be with you, we might become the righteousness of God. On what grounds? On, on the grounds that he made him who knew no sin to be sin. On those grounds. That, that alone. Not because, oh, I'm good now. <laughs> oh, I've straightened my act out now. No. Oh, you know, pulled myself up by my bootstraps. No. The cross. God has made him sin. All the filth, all the vile stuff I've thought, said and done. All the shameful things. All, all, all the stuff, yeah? That I think, ah, God. All of that on him. All of his perfection, beauty and righteousness, right standing before God, on me. Substitution, gift. The plan of God, the only way we could be saved. Left to our own devices, we just get in more and more trouble. God does it as a gift. It's glorious. But everyone's confused because they're thinking this shouldn't be happening and why is it happening to him? They don't get it. 
But then when he's raised from the dead, they begin to get it, he begins to explain it to them. And then listen to this, what he says. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just stop for a minute. Did you, do you realise this? All authority, that means jurisdiction, right, right to rule, all in heaven, in the unseen realm, where there's angels, demons and all that, in the unseen realm and on earth, it's been given to him. God has said, you are such a beautiful son, I can entrust you with the all authority in heaven and earth. There you go. Have it. It's Jesus. He rules. He's totally, utterly exalted. He's not, he is not caught out by anything. He can reach into any situation. Okay? He has jurisdiction into any situation. You can't say not here. Yep, does what he likes. This is incredible. It's because he's the son. He's the son. He's the promised one. And so where does that leave us in this, you know, because the Bible teaches very clearly that through the resurrection a whole new age has begun for creation. It's like the new age has started. So it's like, well, what does it look like then to, okay, so this is Jesus, that's really amazing, and now if I step into him, what does that make me? What? Yeah? Where, if I step into if I become a follower of Jesus, what does that mean for me? What does adoption look like? Here's what, it, here's, here's what it means for you. I'll show you just a few verses. If you've picked a few out, Colossians 1. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. There it is, okay? You were, a, you, were, you were in the domain of darkness, like I said, born broken, born outside of God. There's not three places, there's two places, light and darkness. We're born in darkness. In Christ, we are delivered. That means rescued, pulled out of the rule of darkness. So where darkness has the final say and we're gripped by various things that dominate our lives, we're pulled out of that and we're transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. You like the sound of that? That's where you are if you're a believer. That's where you live now. In the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what the kingdom's about, about being in the beloved son. It's about just being amazed by Jesus and letting him transform you. See, that's what, that is what has happened. This is, um, we must give the word of God the authority it deserves. Okay? These are not just happy thoughts. Yeah? You believe this stuff. You put your faith here. You stand on this. Okay? It's huge. It's hugely powerful. And as I'm preaching even now, there'll be objections in your mind. There'll be all kinds of things going different people's minds. Yeah, but what about this, that, and the other? And there are things to work through, but very often those objections are simply rooted in, it's kind of like, it's, how can I describe it? It's like the enemy trying to do all he can to just get you, to stop you from simply believing the word of God. He's so powerful. When I wake up to the fact I'm no longer in the domain of darkness, I've been rescued from it, and now I'm in this kingdom, I live differently. Yeah. I think differently, I speak differently, I relate differently, I look at life differently. Everything changes. Yeah. See, it's so powerful. And it's not, it's not just mind over matter, positive thinking, it's spiritual truth that sets us free. Right. Heard about that earlier? Yeah? Where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Yeah, well, how does that work? Well, Jesus unpacks it. If you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. And when you know it, it will set you free. Okay? So you've got to know it. So, oh, this is what it means. Let me give you another one just to show you what the Bible says. Look, because your sons, if you adopted your sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if you're a son, you're an heir. I mean, that, there's so much in there, there's five sermons in there. But the main idea is this. If you're a son, God gives you the spirit of his son, as a confirmation, look, it's not just cold, legal, spiritual truth. It's experiential Holy Spirit given to you, the presence of God indwelling you, witnessing in you, in your spirit. You're a child of God, you're a son of God. And you're able to cry out, Abba, Father, there's a freedom and a liberty the Holy Spirit brings you, where, you know, it, 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 it trumps every other message. Okay? It's like a, yes, but, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 I'm really bad, yeah, okay, I, I, I messed up there. And then suddenly it's like a trump card, boom, I'm a child of God. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Ah, oh, I'm a child of God. It's just there. It's what God gives you that spirit to affirm you in there. Why? Because he remembers our form, he knows we're dust, and he, want, he has lots of compassion and kindness towards us. So he wants, see? So the importance of knowing, oh, I've been given the Holy Spirit. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as a down payment, guarantee in my inheritance. Oh, wow. You know, it's like in the old days before credit, you go somewhere, you know, and you'd say, I really want that cassette player. <laughs> Me and my sister when we was young. 
This is how old and sad I am. We would walk into Dixon's or a shop like that and we would go to different cassette players and press the eject button to see which one opened the smoothest. <laughs> After school. If it went boing, you know it was really cheap rubbish. If it went zzzz, we'd look at each other and go, wow. That's what life was like in the 80s. And uh, <laughs> if you wanted it, then you'd say, look, I haven't got, you know, £100 or whatever it is at the moment. I've got £20. If I give you £20, can you put it under the, under the, you know, put it on the back shelf so no one else can come and get it? They put it under. Now, you know it's yours. You haven't got it, but you know it's yours because you paid that, is that, that down payment, that deposit, you see? So I'm coming back. I'm coming back for this thing. Oh, how do I know? Well, I've already paid 20 quid. What's coming back for it? Holy Spirit's a down payment. Of course I'm coming back for you. Of course I'm coming back. I've given you my spirit. Of course you're mine. You see? But it's the importance of the spirit-filled life. You've got to be walking in the good of this. Yes. Yeah? And it's not, oh, how do I do that? Well, it's, we'll, we'll get there. Ephesians 2, listen to this, Ephesians 2. God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we was dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now it's like, hold on a minute, this is getting a bit spooky. What? So the son is the king, and now I'm a son, but hold on a minute, there was talk of a throne there, and it said someone was on it. Who's it talking about? Us. Us. The son is the king. You've been adopted into the royal family. And the generosity in God is this. Come and rule too. Come and reign as well, you think. It's not just that we were the poor little orphan sitting there and God chose us. You know, we were the nasty rebel who walked away from God and said, no, thank you. God's heart is, I'm going to come and get you and adopt you and raise you up into wonderful heights. What is that? grace of God. Shocking. You should be shocked. Either be shocked and believe it, or say to yourself, I can't believe this, it's too shocking, and don't believe it. But you know, if you believe it, be shocked. It should shock you. It's shocking. But it's true. It's true. So this is what it, this is what it looks like living in this in the here and now. Okay? It's not all fully realised yet. When Jesus returns, it will be fully realised. We'll look in a minute at what it's like when Jesus returns. But these things are reality now. And they're supposed to be breaking into our heart and mind and our experience now. Yeah? It's not just, it's not just oh, we, yes, we know some facts about some things. I've been raised with Christ. Oh, brilliant, you know. No, it's, it breaks into my life now. Okay? So, so, you know, the Bible says that God is my glory and the lifter of my head. So I walk with my head held high. Okay? Why? Because I'm proud of myself? No. Because I think I'm something special? No. Why do I walk my head with my head held high? Because God is my glory in the lifter of my head. He has removed my shame. And he's lifted me up and seated me with Christ. And, and that's what he's made me. And, and I want to be, oh, if I'm royal, I want to be royal like Jesus is royal. I want to just be so sure of who I am. Now I can serve. Now I can just get low and just serve and bless. Why? I've got nothing to prove. I know who I am. I can't go any higher. I mean, ridiculous idea. God's raised me with Christ. And then I'm scurrying, trying to get on the first rung of the ladder. It's ridiculous. I'm there. I can just get on with serving now. I've got to prove anything. So it's wonderful. We'll get to some application in a minute. In the future, just a few verses to just blow your mind, really. All it looked like, Revelation 3, to the one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So in a sense, when you're in Christ, you're there. But what he's talking about is as you conquer and overcome in Christ, as you, as you believe Jesus... Through pressure, through trial, through difficulty, as you believe him and, and trust him. Yeah? Not just, yes, I believe Jesus, no. As you trust Jesus, and through that, when you trust Jesus, you conquer. Okay? Because he conquers, you stick with him, you conquer. You overcome things that come against you. He promises this place, actually, literally, on his throne with him. What kind of things will we do? Well, look at 1 Corinthians 6. When one of you has a grievance against another... Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? Who's the saints? It's not just those special ones. When the Bible says saints, it's talking about Christians. Saints will judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to even try trivial cases? Don't you know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? There is a, a destiny on us of such incredible weight and responsibility. If we cannot figure out little domestic griefs in the life of the church, or in our homes, 
or with brothers and sisters, if we can't sort that out, we've got to wake up to the fact, hold on, what we hold on a minute, we're going to judge angels. We're going to judge the world. It's who we are. With privilege comes responsibility. Yeah? And sometimes we, don't, we, we shy away, don't we? We shy away because in our culture, responsibility is viewed as a bad thing, a negative thing. The more you can just stay kind of, just stay totally unattached from anything that looks like responsibility, the older you can do that for, the more admired you're, you're called. Biblically, it's the absolute opposite. The more you can learn to embrace and handle and walk in responsibility joyfully, you're getting it. Because you are made for more than just being a player until you're 50 or whatever it is. It's seen as cool these days. There's immense dignity in this thing. And I want to just show you Revelation 21. We've looked at it a lot, but I want to just point out as we read it, just one sentence, I want to show you the thread coming through strongly. Actually, because of time, I'm not going to read <laughs> I won't, but we've looked at it almost every week, right? And everyone laughs. Remember that one again, yeah? It's amazing about the new heavens and the new earth. But just look at verse, um, uh, where are we? So at the bottom here, the verse doesn't come up. The one who conquers will have this heritage. All about the glories of the new heavens and the new earth. I will read it, blow it. Who cares about time? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. No more turmoil. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Listen, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. There is heritage, inheritance. He'll be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulphur, which is the second death. Now, why on earth did I include that last verse? Spotted, isn't it? It's to correct a wrong view of God. That no matter how people live and what people believe, God will just, God will just bring them all in and it'll all be fine. It's not true. It's not true. God forgives our sins in Christ. Do you really think that Jesus would have had to have gone through all of that if God just welcomes people regardless of what they believe or how they live? It doesn't make any sense at all. God is furious at sin. Furious at human pride. Utterly furious. And he will judge it. He has judged it in Christ at the cross. But if you are not in Christ, you are outside of Christ you're still under the judgment of God. And it's so important you hear that. Not because I'm malicious, but because it's true. And God's heart cry is that you come into Christ. Because he wants to save and rescue you from his wrath. He wants to forgive you and adopt you. He wants you in his family, but it's your choice. It's your choice. It's a choice that no one can make for you, you can only make yourself. But I so need to present the truth to you today. I want you to be in the new heavens and the new earth with God's people. Please take that seriously. It's so important. To finish up now, how do we apply this stuff? Firstly, John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a gift. God gave his son so you could have eternal life. It's a gift. It is not as a result of, if I just, then maybe God will. No, he won't. Hey, if I just do this, maybe God will forgive me. No, no, no. Your efforts are really unimpressive. Okay? Get over it. Sounds really mean, but please just get over it, okay? You cannot impress a perfect holy God by trying to be nice. It's embarrassing, okay? No, 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 no. God has provided a gift. Don't be the person who... Don't be the, you know that person who just can't receive gifts? You know that person? Oh, great, I'll, I'll, I'll buy you something. You know, you give me a gift. Oh, great, I'll just put it out to the shops. No, it's just a gift for you. You haven't got to buy me one straight away. Enjoy the gift, yeah? There's a gift to be enjoyed. His name is Jesus... Yeah? And we love serving God and belonging to God because we know it's all based on the grace and generosity of God. We have not earned it. Get it again and again and again. Get it until you've got it and then get it again. Okay? Really important. Secondly, Romans 8. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, we are children of God. We must go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. I tell you, oh, do not, do not uh, develop a mentality whereby you think you can follow Jesus in your own strength. Do not develop a mentality where you are uh, afraid of things that are supernatural. I tell you, it's, a, it's such a false, terrible path. We are to be a spirit-filled church. We are to be pumping with the life of God. We are to expect the ministry and the activity of the Holy Spirit among us. And if that is not happening, we are in big trouble. Okay? You've got, listen, we preach the Bible. We're rooted in the Bible. Don't worry. Okay? That is our safety. Our safety isn't in not having the activity of the Spirit among us. What a crazy idea. Let's tone it all down, then we'll be safe. No, we won't. We'll just be boring, dead, pathetic, powerless... Yeah, we stay rooted in Scripture. That keeps us safe. Yeah, then we go for it in the Spirit. And we'll be charged to pray for you to be filled with the Spirit just a moment. Next one, Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. This is you. Blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him. Adoption before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us. In love. Oh, I'll have that one. No! In love he predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You are full in Jesus. You've been adopted so you can now serve a fatherless generation. You've been amply supplied. You have the spirit of adoption living in you. There is a world that is dying for lack of fathers. Dying for the lack of the fatherhood of God. Okay? You've been amply supplied. Go and give. Go and give of the fullness of what you've got in Christ. Serve this broken world. We must. We must, we must, we must. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Sonship equals obedience. Trust in obedience. It's no good singing the songs, enjoying the fellowship, yeah, and then not giving a hoot about what Jesus says or teaches or commands. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. It's a nonsense. There is no... You do not fit into any category in the Bible. You are... You're dreaming up strange ideas. Okay? Jesus doesn't give advice. He gives commands. He's the Lord. Yeah? So he's... Oh, good idea. No. Not a good idea. Truth. So bow the knee. It's discipleship. It's discipleship. Someone want to be in a discipleship group. Follow Jesus. Discipleship. Yeah, be, we help each other on the way, but discipleship is following Christ. So I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to think I know better. I'm not going to take the same thing. Yeah, okay, but you're saying it, but my friend's saying this. Well, are they saying the same thing as Jesus? No, no, they're wrong. Okay, it's as simple as that. He's the Lord. I mean, come on, he's the Lord, he's the creator. Matthew 5, this is interesting. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. It's not the wrong way around. Shouldn't it say, you're sons of your Father in heaven, so love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus, you've got it the wrong way around. No, he never gets it the wrong way around. (laughs) What's he saying? He's saying, to be a son is to imitate. You're not imitating, you're not a son. You can sing as many songs as you like. You're not imitating, you're not a son. Okay. Do those things, so you'll be sung. Now I understand, I know that we, you know, we're saved by grace, God makes us alive in Christ in a moment as soon as we come to him, and we're made brand new, yeah, and we're sons, I get that. Okay. But also, Jesus says this, it's just as true. Don't put it, don't put it up against each other, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Okay. Learn the family way. It's an imperative, learn the family way. Do these things. Through that, you grow into the likeness of Christ, just as through beholding him. You grow into his likeness through doing these things as well. You learn the family way. Discipleship. Make, make hard decisions. Yeah, do it. Fruitful. Romans 8, last scripture. Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We're children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. The point is this, 
If we're co-heirs of Christ, we are destined for incredible glory, even though life sometimes on earth is very tough and we are opposed and go through trials because we're believers. Okay? There's a glory that we're destined for. Just like for Jesus, there were trials and glory. Same for us. Trials and glory. If you're following Jesus, the pattern's the same. This is deep stuff today. It's big stuff, meaty stuff today. But I want you to get it and be gripped by it because God wants us to mature. Because there's a, I tell you, there's a dying world out there. It just needs to see, they need to see the family way, don't they? They need to see Jesus. How are you going to see Jesus through his church? Through his church. So come on. Come on. I'm exalting you. I'm exalting me. I'm exalting us. Come on. Let's do this. Let's help each other. Let's walk with one another in this. Finally, those of you that are outside, you don't know what it is to have the Spirit living in you, witnessing you're a child of God. When you pray, you feel more like you're just groping around. You don't know Jesus. Just want to exalt you to come home. Just come home. You're welcome home. He calls you home. He just loves you. He's given his son for you. It's all been done. The door is open. Okay? So just turn away from trying to save yourself or any other foundation. Turn towards Jesus and give him absolute lordship and trust in your life. Watch what he does. It's incredible. It's incredible. Ask anyone here who knows Jesus. Say, tell me about what it's like. Tell you, it's a roller coaster. It's an adventure. You know, it's not just like, you know, walk, walk in the park. It's incredible. He brings transformation to our lives. Absolutely. I want to exalt you. I exalt and urge you. Come home. And you can do it maybe just simple. Sometimes it's as simple as a prayer. You say, Jesus, I want to follow you now. I want to turn my back on my old way of life. I totally just want to follow you now. I, t- I, I, I believe, I, I, I trust you. Here I am. He'll hear that. You haven't got to come to anyone special. To, you just tell him, right? He will come to you. He will rescue you. You will know you're not the same. Yeah? You will know you're not the same. New life begins. You're like, Whoa, what's going on? I'm different. New life. Wonderful. I urge you and exhort you to do that. Okay? I urge you and exhort you. It's not a vice. It's not a vice. I'm urging you to do it. It's life and death. Take, please take it seriously.